Hi, everyone. Uh, just a quick announcement. I'm going to bring up our panel. My name is Tony Smaniato, and along with my colleagues Jerry Moore and Margie Kurkowski, we pulled together a fine panel for you today. Um, we want to remind you that next month is uh, our June panel on change management. Uh, you know, there's th two or three big deals going on in the market right now where big uh, international or, or at least uh, U.S. Uh, corps are moving into their new facilities in Chicago. Examples, Follett, CBRE, making a big move. Zurich just announced a big move to build a new facility in Schaumburg. So we've got uh, three disciples of those firms to come in and talk to us about the the pains of change management, uh, and we tried to profile it so we'd have a little bit of before, during, and after experience. So we look forward to seeing you on Thursday, June 12th, uh, for our change before you have to uh, luncheon. Well, it's my pleasure today to uh, uh, introduce some colleagues, uh, particularly Brendan Kelly from Avison Young, who's uh, put together a, a great panel for us today. Uh, those of you who are in Las Vegas might have had a chance to see this uh, subject matter about a really cool facility that was built by, uh, well, BRG Sports now, since we started this luncheon planning, they sold off their Easton division, but Easton uh, Bell, which makes uh, Easton baseball equipment, uh, Riddell helmets, uh, Bell helmets if you're a skier or a motorcyclist, they built an interesting facility downstate, and uh, Brendan was, uh, was a key player in that, uh, in that, in that team. Uh, I see a lot of uh, my good friends and clients here today, too, who are corporate uh, real estate executives, and I know that uh, there's a lot of demand and responsibility on all of you, and there are some, some instances where you have last-minute changes to your agenda, and unfortunately that happened last night uh, for Lewis. He was called to headquarters in L.A., tried to stretch uh, the flight till later today, but he couldn't. He had to get out. But we've got, so we've got a great panel of all the principals that were involved, involved in this entire uh, planning and development, and uh, Lewis promises to make it up to us. So don't forget, we're giving away a Riddell, which is one of their brands, Chicago Bears helmet today, maybe around, I don't know, mid-program or so, Brendan, where we have a spot. So don't forget, winners must be present. Winners can only be members. And uh, maybe Brendan has another surprise for us or two, who knows. Uh, so without further ado, I'd like to welcome up the panel. If you give him a nice round of applause and get him going. And Brendan Kelly from Avison Young will introduce our other speakers and our, and our technical expert, too. Thanks, everybody. You guys hear us okay? Great. So who, um, when you were leaving your house today, went to grab your overcoat because you know it would be cold out? It's pretty nice. This kind of reminds me of the time of year, like when you're in third or fourth grade, and you got to have class outdoors, wasn't that? So we were trying to figure out how can we have class outdoors, but we couldn't quite, quite pull that off. But my favorite Friday of the year is coming up a week from Friday, which is the first Wrigley Field home game. You know, the business person special starts at 2.20, and it's going to be warm, the beer's going to be cold, and we've waited for that moment for about seven months. So that's kind of a nice thought as we can build on this. My name is Brendan Kelly. I'm with Avis & Young. I'm with our Enterprise Solutions Group, uh, co-lead co our, our global supply chain practice. And uh, I'll leave it to our other fine gentlemen here to introduce themselves as well. Thank you, Brendan. I'm Carl Heitman, uh, president and founder of Heitman Architects, uh, celebrating uh, 20 years in the business. We're uh, primarily uh, corporate uh, commercial uh, projects, uh, and we work uh, nationally. My name is uh, Mike Kaufman. I'm vice president with Peak Construction. 
Uh, we were fortunate enough to work with uh, Carl and Brendan in construction of this project, working with uh, our development partner, Janko Development Group, um, Peaks and Industrial Office Hospitality Contractor, uh, based here in Chicago since uh, 1997. And we were fortunate enough to be the uh, NIOP uh, contract of the year the last two years. Shameless self-promotion. Um, <laughs> so we thought it'd be good to have Mike here because Carl and I represented Easton Bell. We, we were working for them. And um, uh, Mike and his firm were one of the bidders that won. And so we thought it might be interesting to have his perspective along the supply chain of a deal, uh, how we perceive some of the things we're up to. And um, do we have a, the clicker by chance? Oh, it's on lectern. Okay, fantastic. Uh, so, just a quick uh, introduction to Easton Bell Sports. So, you probably have their stuff in your garage or in your attic, as the case may be, of all these different kind of kind of cool things. Uh, a little historical local note. So, Riddell, John Riddell, was the athletic director and football coach at Evanston Township High School. And in 1929, he came up with the idea of removable football spikes. And so hence, Riddell was born. Riddell's headquarters of this concern of companies is actually in Rosemont. So they're still here to this uh, very day. And we'll talk a little about like that. Carl really liked that graphic. So I'm not sure why it's up there, but it's just kind of fun. I found the, the graphic. It was an advertisement in an art magazine. And uh, Easton Bell didn't even know it was out there. We grabbed it because we thought it was really indicative of what we're trying to do. We're trying to break through um, some operational barriers and leverage uh, a lot of metrics and look at the business case for this project. So the graphic was, was key to that, and it actually uh, appeared in the building, main feature in the lobby. Great. And so uh, what was the mission behind this, this uh, project? You can kind of read that up there. But essentially, it comes down to aligning the, business, the operations strategy of the company with the overall corporate strategy. And then, of course, real estate fits in supporting the operations strategy. But that, that was kind of the, the big picture um, of what, what the project was all about. This is a, a video of Lewis. This hasn't been edited, so we'll just kind of see how it goes. And spell the your name and company. This was an interview. Lewis Hornsby. I'm the vice president of global logistics and fulfillment for Easton Bell Sports. Uh, my name is L-E-W-I-S-H-O-R-N-S-B-Y. Easton Bell Sports is E-A-S-T-O-N-B-E-L-L-S-P-O-R-T-S. Great, thank you. So the first question is, what was the key to winning board approval for this project? There were actually two keys. Uh, the first, I would say, is the financial model, how it allowed us to create a, a current state uh, and compare that to the future state, uh, which, which. Uh, uh. And if you would answer at this time, there are actually two keys to winning this. Board, like the there were the two movie. keys to winning board approval for this. Okay. All right. So again, the question. And sorry. Keep your feet down. Good start. Okay, I'm back and rolling and speeding. All right, Lewis. Uh, what was the key to winning board approval for this project? There are actually two keys. Uh, the first would be the financial model and how that allowed us to demonstrate the current state versus the future state financials of the project. And I would say the second is, was the risk, uh, how we were able to demonstrate how we're going to mitigate the risk associated with moving these locations into the new uh, distribution center. 
I'm sorry, Mark, pause right there. Let's move the mic up on the hotel. Okay, I am rolling in. How about a round of applause for Lewis? <laughs> We actually did that video uh, a little bit ago at at, uh, at an occasion, and he had to get you know the powder on his face and all that, and so he kind of liked being the movie star. Um, this uh, we're just required per cornet um, regulations to show you learning objectives. So we'll we'll move on. Um, so Easton Bell, so they're private equity owned, maybe about eight nine hundred million in sales, so obviously privately held. They brought together three, actually four companies, so they had three supply chains. So the investment thesis of Fenway Partners out of New York was uh, one of them was, uh, in addition to having great brands, was uh, consolidating the, the supply chain to sh support their overall objectives. And so one of our partners did all that and kind of took all these various considerations, but one of which was about, they bring in about 3,000 containers a year uh, from Asia to uh, support their different product lines. So consequently, location had a lot to do with uh, great things like intermodal uh, and port locations. Another big theme was e-commerce. You know, it's almost what's the difference between a retailer and a consumer goods company today? I'm not really sure. Almost everybody is now shipping directly to customers. So what impact does that have on real estate is, you know, one of the questions for us as we sit here. And this was all the data that was required to, to make all that stuff happen, which is a lot, a lot of stuff. And what the analysis essentially said is to go from seven facilities to two and have a central, because the population of the United States is heavily weighted to east of the Mississippi, uh, it said have a location in the central U.S., so either Illinois or uh, Dallas, and a second facility out on the East Coast, either Lehigh Valley or, or South Carolina. Um, they had a legacy facility in downstate in suburban Champaign known as Rantoul. Is anybody driven by there on I-57? Very good. Um, you've probably driven by, uh, probably have not stopped. But, um, but now there's a landmark there that you can stop next time that you're, you're driving along. So, um, I guess the, the punchline, a lot of your corporate real estate executives are being um, challenged to integrate, provide more app value within your company with your various partners. So this process was about trying to align, uh, for Easton Bell, align their outside vendors with kind of that internal strategy of trying to provide a more integrated solution, teamwork internally with all the different departments, finance, operations, human resource, you guys know the list. And so uh, represented up here uh, was kind of our integrated team, which started with the network modeling. We just went through process improvement, the actual flow uh, on the floor itself. Now this analogous to, you know, programming and space planning for office space. And then Carl here represented on the um, consulting side, helping the client with the uh, facility design. And then um, real estate knuckleheads on the location incentives and that sort of thing. But So the, the kind of the, the premise here was, uh, you know, it, there's no presentation complete without a, a quote from uh, Deming. 85%, uh, you can see that up there, relative to 85% of the results in the first 15% of the process. So often what's been our experience, particularly as it relates to uh, industrial um, 
requirements is that ends up being kind of a sequential handoff from one vendor to the next. And where the biggest risk in a product ends up being is, is that handoff. So if we could actually get the full team together day one, working in concert with the client, could we get a faster result, reduce the risk, and, and have better financial results? Do you have anything to add to that, Carl? No, the next graphic. Okay. This graphic kind of represents what Brendan just uh, stated. It's really an integration of, of several silos working together. So we were looking at uh, really supply chain um, network analysis represented by the globe. We looked at where sites were best uh, located to serve their needs. Uh, we went and looked at the facility itself in terms of a prototype, developed that based on what happens inside the box. We're really looking at a hand-in-glove kind of design in terms of a prototype. So we worked that out without having a site while the real estate group is looking for sites. We're also looking at how the building uh, cost in terms of shape, size, specifications, and all that came together when we landed on a site. Uh, material handling was worked out. Putting all those parts and pieces together up front enabled us to really push the value of the building and really get more value in for lower cost. It also compressed the time frame that this happened um, in multiple states, multiple developer um, bid scenario. Have any of you ever had a, a real estate project where your internal customer, you know, after you, whether it's a TI for office or whether it might be a ground up, where uh, your internal customer said, oh, you know what, we changed your mind or we just had an acquisition and things have changed. Has anybody seen that along the way? Um, so what, what our goal here was, was really to try and do is, so that's inevitable, obviously, but the goal was to try and define the requirement as well as we could, really understand the internal customer for, uh, for our client in this perspective. And so getting the industrial engineering, which I would make the analogy to programming and space planning on the office side, getting industrial engineering involved at the front end instead of the back end, uh, which is the way most our deals work, uh, was, was kind of a key, a, a key change, I'd say paradigm shift, uh, compared to traditional uh, projects. And uh, we have peak construction up there. So they, they were um, the enemy in this case, not exactly enemy, but you know they were on the other side of the table. But again, we have them here because we'll have a nice dialogue with them. Um, so the other smart thing I think Houston Bell did is they really got their CFO and the controller involved at the front end. You know, it's kind of that old story, of if a tree falls in the forest and no one hears it, you know, did it actually fall? Or did it make a sound? I guess you could say either. So you may have the greatest project in the world, but if you can't get it passed through your board, then the product doesn't exist. Has anybody ever had a product they took up to the board that got turned down? You know that? So, um, so our, our goal here was obviously not to waste time or a client's time and you know, try and ensure our best success, probability success, getting that board approval. So these were all the different metrics that were important to the client, and they actually really kind of designed this uh, model, and this was actually what they used to uh, present to their board. The key to the model, on the traditional real estate side, we're used to doing cash flows for what the lease might be over 15 years, operating expenses and those sort of things. So what the client challenged us to do in this case is really include the whole income statement of that facility, aside from the revenue side, so that they had the whole picture that they could then take to the board and kind of get approved. And I don't know, from your companies may be different, but our staff's a little leaner today. Resources more constrained versus more plentiful. Is that fair to say? So 
Uh, in this case, they needed to lean on us more to provide some of that blocking and tackling on the financial analysis to help them be successful. And so it turned out in this project that 60% uh, of the money was really all on the floor, uh, you know, the whole process and design. That was literally about 60% of the money. So, but again, most of these projects, the industrial engineering gets involved at the back end. Well, that's where all the money is and that's where all the upside is. Why wouldn't you have them involved in the front end? Now, some companies have those internal resources, but there's still uh, the silo mentality. I know it's hard to believe sometimes with uh, inside of companies, not to mention you know, external vendors. Did you want to talk to this, Carl? Yes. On the AE side, there's a, a new term called integrated project delivery, and we're using tools that enable that on single platforms. But in this case, what we worked with in collaboration with Abson Young, we were able to basically create data modeling tools on the client side, integrating various interests within their organization. So we're going to talk about a lot of financials incentives that were basically at the C-suite, but we integrated them down to the operations level in terms of pallet counts and cost per pallet. So beyond looking at how the building comes together in terms of the bricks and mortar, we're actually looking at what goes inside the building in terms of pallets and SKUs. Uh, conveyors, et cetera. So this model represents uh, what we created as a prototype. And you can see we're looking at pallet counts and we're looking at uh, what-if scenarios. We were looking at buildings that I think were programmed at 1.3 million square feet. We validated that size based on capacities and we've got it down to about 850,000 feet. So right off the bat, we were looking at a very optimized footprint for this client, which saved them a lot of money up front. We were able to do that in a model that had stretch pull capabilities so we could look at multiple sites simultaneously. There are like six sites in the Rantoul area. We were looking at sites in South Carolina and also in, in Pennsylvania at the same time in Texas. So by leveraging a, a virtual building model that goes down to the granular level of pallets and SKUs is how we were able to put the financial data into the uh, financial models. So have any of you guys ever bought a glove? And have you ever not tried it on first? Traditionally, different than I would say the office side, but traditionally on the industrial side, uh, clients will come and say, hey, we think we need, say, 200,000 square feet. And we'll say, oh, gee, how did you figure that out? Well, we got 100 over here, 50 there. We need a growth factor, so let's call it 200. And then we'll go out in the market because we're eager real estate brokers. We'll get a deal, a lease, or not a lease sign, but let's just say a letter of intent sign. And we're pretty close to getting a lease sign. And then there's this guy with a slide rule uh, and a pocket protector that shows up, you know, the industrial engineer, to check out the building. Is this, is this going to work for us? And we're just thinking, geez, I hope this guy doesn't, you know, mess this deal up. But it's at the very end of the process that that guy was involved. So our goal is to have you be able to try the glove on before, uh, before you buy it. And with technology today, essentially, anybody familiar with computer-aided design, computer-aided manufacturing, you know, back in my IBM days, I was selling those back in the 80s. Real estate and construction are, is pretty much uh, safe to say last in technology. If you go through the corporate hierarchy, we're pretty much last. However, the good news is this sort of CAD CAM design has now come very uh, relatively uh, efficiently and effectively so that you can, uh, in this case, we flew around with an industrial engineer at the day one of the project, and they came up with the ideal flow, and then Carl built the 3D model around it. Uh, which is uh, a pretty, you know, a lot of implications of how that helps. 
that integrated uh, approach allowed us to do a lot in terms of value in ter of the building. In the C-suite, we have different objectives. You've got real estate on a mission to find that million and a half square foot building. You've got operations saying, I need a million and a half square foot building. And you've got the uh, CFO trying, how am I going to pay for that building? The building cost really for the C-level is in operations, not in first cost-based building. So we wanted to present a model that was a 10 or 15 year window out based on EBITDA. And to do that, we had to really analyze the building. And working with corporate clients, some of the biggest costs involved beyond move-in is rebooting the facility. That means flexibility down the road. So they might be in the facility five years, and then they'll find out, way we've got to change our system around. We've got to do something. So we took a deep dive to understand what that flexibility was, and we looked at how do we put that money in the building at the prototype stage and really affect a much higher value building on a 25-year term. So in this case, we were looking at, well, do we want to go with a wider bay? We went to a 60-foot bay, which was off the norm. It was about a 15% upgrade in terms of the steel cost. But at this point, it made a lot of sense because we would look at a very narrow aisle or a narrow aisle situation. And we knew that within five years, Easton Bell could expand within the box without changing the four walls. We also looked at stack heights and what does it cost to go with a six high versus five high. We looked at widths to length ratios, things like that. In terms of the material handling, there was a lot of process, pick, three-level three pick modules. We had uh, conveyors uh, loading uh, product direct to uh, outbound docks. Uh, we had helmet manufacturing with painting and assembly going on. So a lot of that required heavy slabs. So in the traditional process, you'd get this building going, a design going, and we'd wait four or five months down the road till the, the engineers figure out where they're going to put the stuff. And I just asked the question, why don't we just accommodate that on more of a regional basis within the building? One, it allows us to really uh, get to speed of the market. Speed of market is really improved. But also, it really created a flexible envelope for them to move forward. We knew those cost upgrades up front. We could put it in the deal when we went out to market. So that's one of the big advantages. Great. So in this particular case, uh, you know, the two metrics that we have highlighted up here was the clear height of the building and the base spacing. And um, the nice thing is we had the whole team three weeks into the product after we visited their top three facilities. And we had industrial engineering, architect, construction management, all to figure out what the basic configs, you know, the configuration of the building would be because we had to go to RFP the next week because we had a board meeting in three weeks. Um, so it was, a pretty, um, it was a pretty efficient process from that perspective. Did you want to talk about this, Carl? I don't think this is the animation, but we have the animation on a few more slides. But what we're, we're taking our technology through some proprietary applications. We're, we're really working and leveraging Google Earth. So you'll see that we can take that prototype and we can land it on sites really ahead of the market. So we can identify sites really before we're actually negotiating or taking that first step with the, with the landowners. Great. So from an efficiency standpoint, you know, speed to market, so before our client, who uh, Lewis was in Dallas, had to even go out, this we're seeing lovely Champaign, Illinois here. But once we had that model, we were able to test fit it on the different sites that Carl and I had uh, kind of dug up together. So we could do a webinar, and we could cut the wheat from the shape so that when he did come out to the market, we were down to the short list rather than kind of the normal process you'd go through. Just as one example here, this is a site uh, on I-57 there, lots of farmland. Uh, but this was my favorite site. Um, and uh, so the civil engineer said, hey, Kelly, you realize that's right next to the 4A interchange? I said, yeah, isn't that fantastic? That's like the number one amenity. 
And he said, but it's less than 1,250 feet, your entrance, because we know your site plan, from the interchange. And said, uh, yeah, isn't that great on off? He says, well, just so you know, that's an IDOT permit. That's six months. Oh, okay. So that site's out. So we didn't even waste the client's time, you know, having that sort of look. The other thing Carl's team did, um, building codes is not something I'm familiar with and would not do a good job of reading. Um, but anyway, we had Carl out to look at these sites day one with me, and turned out Champaign was 2009 uh, International Building Code. Rantoul was 2006. Well, so who cares? Uh, it was about a $750,000 difference uh, because of... Uh, fire code issues at that time, and wall, demising walls, and it completely destroyed the design. So we obviously didn't let Champagne know that, that they were out, or Rantoul know that they were out, because we needed competitive leverage. But uh, in terms of speed the market, efficiency, reducing risk, you know, that's, that would be a, a way to kind of demonstrate that. Um, we talked a little bit about the financial model piece. Um, we can kind of I guess we just, we had the question from the CFO, Lewis Hornsby did, said, hey, can't we just um, leave all the real estate the same and do this process improvement equipment stuff and forget changing the real estate? So we had to, well, so, well no, we don't get actually paid a real estate commission if you do that. Um, so I had to help him clarify that. But no, in all, uh, in all sincerity, so we kind of came up with this graph to show the driver of being able to increase their efficiency was consolidating the supply chain with the real estate. So this just kind of shows the math, big picture, you know, because we're all real estate people, so we like numbers. So it was about a $57 million project, $42 million of it was actual building. So that was financed with a sale lease back with Lexington Realty in conjunction with Janko. So then we had $15 million of CapEx, which of that about 10 million was equipment and maybe 5 million soft costs, severance pay and software, those sort of things. So we were able to get uh, about $9 million of incentives, a couple million from the developer, about $7 million from tax increment financing bond. So the day they moved in, which was, what, October 26? October 26. October 26 of uh, last fall, uh, they got a check for $9 million against that $15 million. So they said, oh, gee, so we only have to put $6 million into this deal. And, of course, it's you know private equity guys, so they're very financially driven. Um, they beat us up through about four board meetings until we finally got our finance numbers correct. But um, at any rate, that was just to kind of show the, the importance as real estate executives and service providers really working with your internal customers to help get all the numbers together, all the ROI, so you can get the project over, over the goal line. So when the tree falls in the forest, it actually makes a sound. Anything else to add to that, Carl? Or? Okay, great. It just only I'd mention here again, 60% of the ROI that the board bought off on was stuff on the floor, meaning productivity improvements, uh, you know, labor efficiencies, that sort of thing. So yeah, I would add, what we don't have, Brendan, is your, is your basically your dashboard demo. But what we did by taking the data out of the model, which was a, a, a parametric model that had uh, changed, changed by toggle, it fed into a financial model that gave the board a lot of what-if scenarios. So um, pretty unique. So whatever the maximum, I, I'm not an Excel expert, but anyway, whatever the maximum number of tabs, by the time all the executives from Easton got done with it, we'd maxed it out. Uh, but it allowed them to do a lot of flexibility. And it was, I would say our client, you know, finances and his background, in his case, more operations and all that kind of stuff. Um, so it was really important to help him and the CEO who we reported to be able to communicate to the board 
on their terms and in their language. So that ended up being kind of important. So this is a little bit where we get involved with Mike as well. Did this is a graphic of the, um, of the selected site with the building and all the contents on it. So some of the metrics that we, we talk about here are some of the savings based on this process. Great. So, um, so we got board approval, so this is execution time. You know, we're down to a couple sites. So this ended up being the winning, the winning site. Um, but um, I, I'd like to, to get Mike's perspective as the contractor developer, you know, who ended up winning the award. Um, when we went out to bid, um, you know, you have a traditional broker RFP uh, that you're kind of familiar with. Then we had a password where they could access uh, Heitman Technologies' website with actual 3D model. And this was conceptual, this isn't final, but uh, which uh, I think at the end of the day, we had about 500 hits on between the developers, the GCs, the subs. We were bidding out in three different states because we didn't exactly know where we were going to be going. Um, and it really helped with precision the uh, developers and therefore their GCs to bid out the product. So it really took a lot of risk out. So at the end of the day, it was a $42 million construction project. Our allowances were probably in the 1% to 2% area, which... You know, what might be traditional when you're going in front of a board, maybe you want to put 10% in or something like that. Uh, so it really allowed us to reduce a lot of that, that risk. What um, We can talk about incentives in a minute, but Mike, what from your perspective, bidding that way versus... Well, from our standpoint, the fact that so much thought had gone into the, the process up front and the, the drawings and specifications were so well developed, it gave us the ability to put together a guaranteed maximum price early in the... Uh, uh, the process which our development partner needed in order to, um, you know, frankly get the deal financed. Like one of the things you see is it's, it's in Rantoul, it's really kind of a tertiary market, so you can't generate a lot of interest on the financial very, side. Very tertiary. <laughs> uh, so what we had to do is make sure that those costs were, were solid, and, and, you know, frankly, we were able to uh, work everything within their model over the course of the project and, and deliver the building without going over the GMP and, and frankly giving some money back. Um, How much was the check back? The check back was uh, a little over half a million dollars yeah. um, that came back. So that was you know, kind of proof, proof of concept. So um, we appreciate Mike's guys. Anything else to comment on this? The, the other thing that they set up, we mentioned the 3,000 containers. So by consolidating the facilities, you're consolidating the volume of what you're importing. So it allows to create a foreign trade zone which meant maybe a million dollars a year in savings to them by doing that. So they're in the process of actually setting up that FTZ right now. And as you know, to get a project, you know, to make sure when the tree falls, it's making the sound, uh, you need every bit of ROI that you can. And if you got the subject matter experts with you on the front end, who then have to actually deliver what was promised to the board, because that's what you have to do internally. If your external uh, vendors have to do the same thing, then there's a real alignment of interest that, uh, you know, that's to everybody's benefit. Here's a, a rendering of the finished building. You can see the uh, breaking the barriers is in the lobby. That's the guy on the bicycle. It was a, a building graphic that carried through the project. It was called Project Gravity originally um, uh, as, a, as a, um, a code name. Uh, we did go for LEED certification. Our firm's been involved in over 8 million square foot of LEED uh, facilities, and this one uh, we did an energy analysis. And what's typical in the marketplace today with these corporate, uh, a lot of corporate users, not all, but some, uh, we did an energy analysis of their properties that got consolidated into here. We were going with six buildings into into one in this case, and we asked for an 18-month uh, uh, record of their energy cost uh, so we could compare to a projected energy model of this building. 
And when we got all the energy bills in from Easton Bell Sports, uh, they had nine bills coming from nine different facilities. So within their organization, they really missed two facilities uh, in the consolidation, which was interesting in that they knew what they had, but they didn't know it was broken up into nine separate real estate pins. And that's kind of indicative of a lot of lost money. So the idea of how to optimize, really the best way to optimize and save on a, on a global portfolio is re reduce the real estate footprint, which is what this did. And um, we did save on energy analysis, one of the metrics that went into the, into the uh, dashboard. The next slide is a uh, hopefully animated slide of the process. Now this is the software that we've created and it's based on metrics and we've built a prototype of an industrial building and you see on the, on the right side of the screen are basically metrics in terms of cost, land cost, pallet counts, et cetera. We can enter that data numerically and we can see outcomes. So we have cost of land can be updated and we can start to see how that building really operates from a um, financial model. Those financial uh, metrics then went into the dashboard from Avison Young, but we also tied it to Google Earth so we can look very quickly in terms of scoping a building like this out into a site and we can drop it into a Google Earth file and look at it um, on multiple sites. The software we created actually ties it into Street View. So within an hour and a half, we can go from basically a prototype um, and then adjust it based on what if scenarios live and then land it on the sites. If we, you have a fear of heights, you may not be able to look at that video all the way through, but all the way from, from planet Earth. That's, that's terrific. And then the next slide really shows the, uh, the seven or eight sites we looked at in the RAND tool in um, Champaign area. So and we're looking at different dimension sites, so the model actually conforms itself uh, to the site geometries, and then we can see what the financial implications are on a not just first cost, but a 10-year, 15-year window. So this essentially was our webinar with the client, his first tour of the market before while he was sitting in Dallas or wherever he might have been in their, their network that day. So, so there's a, uh, a story that it's, there's a process improvement, you know, speed to market, which we all know we're under a lot of pressure for that because deadlines never change even though decisions get delayed. Um, but probably real leverage is the iterative process with the model around the process because the process is 60% of the dough. So as much as you can spend time on that 60% and having the model support the buildings, the real estate support the operation, not the other way around. What's happened through technology, we're able to take those tools that are really very new to the market and we're applying them in ways that have never been done before. So we're looking at that integrated project delivery aspect of some of the software that's available and we're taking it to really make a uh, integrated team from the, uh, from the client side, integrating those silos and then from the construction side, integrating the, the construction right. uh, From our standpoint, um, that design integrates well with our um, estimating software. So it allowed us, as they would move from site to site, to be able to price that out and, and really come up with an idea what that cost would be up front. So this was a video that was prepared for the board. We also used it for the economic incentive folks at the state, at the local level, to you know, get them fired up and you know, kind of on our side. Part of the uh, 
the local incentives were that the land needed to be developed with infrastructure on a was a TIF basis, and then that infrastructure had to add to future development. So we looked at a site that was broader than just Easton Bell Sports. We looked at how the infrastructure developed today would would actually be a uh, catalyst for future development along I-57. So with that tax increment financing, so the, the project was going to throw off about $23 million over the 20 years of the TIF. And so we um, were able to negotiate 75% of that coming back to us, to the tenant. Um, and so th this was a great tool to help get them fired up about the vision of what would be left over that they could then market you know, other sites to other companies coming in. The building expansion that Carl shows there is really important too. Uh, raise your hand if your company was involved in a merger or acquisition or disposition of a company in the last year. Anybody? Okay, so change is kind of the order of the day. So um, knowing that the M&A is, is the, the way of the world, um, that flexibility was real important for this site form as well. And that flexibility has proven itself out, right, in the next, in the last year since occupancy, there's been lots of movements. So this shows the, the nature of the model and how it's really an uh, inside-out view of, of the operation. Nice, nice thing, because traditionally what we're left with is we have a developer an RFP and it's blank inside. So, you know, there's a lot of assumptions the developer then has to make, and we know when, when you assume what, the, what, uh, what that means. But uh, the nice thing is with this preliminary model, it's very cost-effective, you know, you can get it done on the front end before you have board approval. Um, so you can then take the municipality and get their feedback on what's going on inside. Um, we had that example in Carroll Stream in Aurora for another client on a, about 250,000 feet. We were able to show them what was going on inside. And um, Aurora said, uh, oh, by the way, you're going to spend $250,000 on this fire access for your picking mezzanines. And Carroll Stream said, oh, no, that's not a problem. Normally, that would come up when we're already, you know, just about to give birth to the deal and we have no leverage. But because this was on the front end, we could then call Aurora and say, we respect your position, we understand that, but just so you know, you're out. Wait, 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 just a minute. So they came back two days later and of course they, they changed. But it was with, with this modeling uh, and understanding the process on the front end that it was possible. Did we uh, yeah, you maximize that. this video? Yep. You guys are gonna get stir crazy here. <laughs> So I never quite know which slide is like a video or if it's actually a still. So this is a still. You saw in the video we had the name scrub because we're out in markets. We couldn't identify the the, the client. So that model that uh, which was not attached to the site really was available to all the developers in all the sites. How many? We were four states. How many sites? It's like 17, 17 sites, twelve developers. You all simultaneously with his bid. Um, you, might, you might mention the uh, East Coast was just right-sized, but you already had the base model from the Midwest. East Coast was a smaller building, so we had all the metrics built into that model, and we could, as you saw in that video, we could just tweak it down to what the right size. So as we were looking at various developers that are property-driven, their property geometrics, one size doesn't fit all, so the, the building was modified on each site, and we could see what the output was. So where the leverage is, so there's a lot of leverage just on a one-off. But if, if you're going to have a program where you're going to need to do multiple facilities over time, you've got this library 
that your base to work off of in continuous improvement management, but you're way ahead of the game. It's important to, I'm sure a lot of you are familiar with this modeling anyway, but you know, this is the first step of working drawings. It's not like, you know, so you're already moving down the road. We were 75% done with our working drawings at this point. So before we had a site, we were really 75% complete on the drawings. That's why the bid was so specific. I've got another client, big global corporate guy, and he says, Carl, why, why do I have such a $1 million delta on a building cost? I can understand the land, I can understand the offsite, but the building, it should be the same. Well, it's not, because when you typically go out in a typical process, you're with maybe an 18-page outline spec, maybe a hand sketch or a little drawing, and the teams downstream, the developers and the contractors, they have really nothing to go by, so they really have to make a lot of assumptions, so there's a lot of uh, contingencies built in at every step. So with 17 different developers, some of them were using two contractors to price this. Those contractors then had MEP subs, uh, concrete guys, all the way down, wall panel guys. Every layer had to make assumptions and would have to put on contingency, so that number gets ballooned way out. In this process, when we're so specific, we're about 65% done with the, with the drawings. We issued AutoCADs, we had the website up. Everybody could identify that's a Lithonia light fixture, two by four, 16 cell parabolic. Wow, okay, I don't have to guess what it is. I can qualify, I've got that, I don't have that. So the bid was, was, was pretty um, uh, specific and very quick. We, we really compressed how many months in the time frame, which, which typical time frame? Um, but typically, a project like this, we, we, as I said, we had four board meetings, so we got beat up pretty good um, by the private equity guys, which we enjoyed, I have to say. Um, that was before we went out, right? Right, yeah. So we basically, it's probably four months if, if you look at it ground up. So if it's an 18 month project or 24 months, however you want to look at it, basically, it can save you about four months. So we'd say probably 20%, you know, uh, of time wise. Which uh, the other thing would be worth mentioning, you know, um, show of hands maybe if you've been involved in a ground up before, whatever it is, office or industrial. But is it fair to say most of your projects are retrofits of existing buildings? So the good news is this type of modeling as you do your corporate standards for office space or, or on the industrial side, it's, there's actually more leverage with existing buildings than ground up. You know, it's like building a new house. It's kind of easy. I mean, other than the fact you can't afford it, um, but the renovating a house is tougher. There's a lot of unknowns, a lot of risk. Um, so the the model is actually more helpful, as helpful as it is here. Um, but on the corporate level, this was kind of inverted process because instead of going out with a capex request on a budget that you're just guessing at, we really had this fine tuned to a, to a, a really nth degree. We could focus at CapEx. In fact, the board had a lot to do with that because they were making decisions. Do we reduce our uh, employment and go with more automation? Things like that were, were on the table being discussed before we actually selected the site. So it inverted the process for them. The CapEx was very specific. There was no worry about going back for more money. It was all, the money was coming back. We're getting the hook. Yeah, I, th I, I think uh, I think we're we're pretty well done. So we take questions. I just mentioned one last thing. If you look as a corporate real estate executive, one of the highest risk products you can do is a major construction product or ground up. Um, I uh, another one right up there is an IT project, uh, and a third would be a move. And a product like this has all three. So I always remember the chief operating officer said to Lewis Hornsby, who you saw there on those couple outtakes. Um, 
she said, hey, make good choices. It's just your career. <laughs> so, uh, so we became very cognizant of risk, how much risk is on your shoulders, uh, and as we as service providers, and so what can we do to take risk out of the deal? So that's a big part of that. By the way, I would mention Tony at uh, earlier. So uh, Lewis Hornsby is uh, a token for him not being able to join us except via the outtake video there, uh, is offered to donate another Riddell football helmet of whatever football team that you might most favor. This is the NFL draft starting today. I happen to be a Green Bay Packer fan, but I'm not eligible. So uh, anyway, thank you. So you have the Super Bowl helmets. You might mention Super Bowl. Okay, there's Super Bowl helmets apparently as well. Yeah, you want to go end up on this slide and go to Q&A? Oh, okay. Oh, we just, you want to go to the metric slide? Um, yeah, this right here is just showing the, the ability to measure after the fact, hey, how did we do what we promised the board? There's some capability to do that as well. Anything else you want to add, Carl? Okay, great. We can, we can um, <clears throat> let's uh, give away a helmet. What do you say, everybody? Hey, yeah, while, hey. while, we, while I'm getting it ready, though, I, I know some people are curious about what, what's going on inside that building. We see a lot of color coding, but I mean, is it, I, I mean, I understand the building's partial warehousing, partial assembly. I mean, it looks like there's some cool things going on. Right, there's an integrated office, about 40,000 square foot of offices on two floors. Uh, we have uh, sales and uh, marketing and, and production offices, customer service. Call center. So you're calling Easton Bell about a product that you're going to get them on the phone. About a 400 employees there. Uh, there's uh, a distribution, uh, automated distribution. Um, there's a mixture in terms of the blue and the green racks. That was very narrow aisle versus narrow aisle. So uh, we had different uh, products within that. There's three-level pick module that has a pick-to-light bin going down the middle that feeds down conveyors that, that entered into uh, outbound docks. You might and then there's the a assembly, the belt helmet. helmet assembly is part of it too. Also, on part of that floor on the uh, uh, south uh, east corner was a uh, a zone or quadrant for assembly of helmets. So the helmets come from different locations. The uh, the hard shell uh, is not painted, and they'll paint the helmet. They'll decal it with the uh, with the Bears decal. They'll put the uh, or the Packers or whichever. They'll put the uh, the nose guard, the, the chin guard, all that on it. So everything's nose made. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, the, the, um, it's amazing how many helmets leave that facility per day. <laughs> the, the, the metric is 20,000 helmets a day leave that facility. So I couldn't believe it because I can't believe there's that any That includes people. the Bell bike helmets as well. Right, because Giro, those a lot more bike riders than football. Yeah, I want to mention how the expansion capabilities within the facility by going from the various um, narrow aisle to very narrow aisle racks, you can calculate just how much. You Again, because we did this front load, we were able to put some value in the building in terms of that column spacing. So that column spacing enables us to change the configuration of the building. Those racks, you might put the building model back up if you can. We could look at, and we've we, got we videos. We are going to get to the drawing, promise. <laughs> we have the videos that show this building expand and contract within the four walls just based on how that rack module uh, is set up. And the, the tabs are, uh, yeah, the next slide. These tabs here would show you the, the pallet counts. So in terms of cost per square foot, we really moved the industry into looking at 
cost per pallet. So we're working on a project now where we're really analyzing alternate scenarios based on lease rate per pallet. Doesn't matter about the square footage because it's lease rate versus the quantity. And some of the buildings are less efficient than others, so the lease spaces are larger. It's, it's really going about 100,000 square foot difference in terms of getting the same pallet count based on the existing building's layouts. So it's really turning the industry into a different, uh, different model, really a financial model for the sea level. I met, I met a few economic developers today. <clears throat> uh, the company had a lot of jobs and a long time investment in Rantoul. Were you really going to move? Were you really going to go anywhere? Was that really, really? They really thought they were. There was a meeting. Yeah, that a lot of had... hours were spent in, in analyzing. What's, what's that one movie where the kind of nerdy guy asks this really good-looking girl and he says, you know, and he's asking her out, she says, no, no. And then finally she says, well, there's like one chance in a million. Yes! Yeah, so it, it was, was kind of like that that they would probably leave. Um, All right, well, let's, hey, let's pick a helmet out. I don't chance. know where it went, but uh, see, Molly's got it. Uh, yeah, we're going we're gonna to grab some questions. Let's get the helmet out like we promised. Um, Again, this is uh, the eligibility here is for members only. Uh, winner must be present. And you want to pick, want to let our chapter president pick out the winner. Make sure you feel around and set somewhere stuck together. Get a good mix going, and you have five seconds to pull out the winner of that very expensive and, and beautifully bent, constructed American-made Riddell helmet. If you helmet. bent the corner of your card so she'd pick you, then that doesn't count. <laughs> well, for now, we're just going to pick the winner of that helmet. And the winner is Sam DeFrancesca. Come on down. Sammy, that's assuming you want it. You, know, you can always throw it back in the pile of one of the young ladies. But that's okay, no pressure. Oh, I thought you were Sam because you're waving your hand. Well, everyone, please text Next. Sam immediately, uh, preferably with a selfie with the helmet on. But here's the winner of the American-made Riddell helmet from Rantoul, Illinois, Paula Mangarelli. Just what you've always wanted. And we also, let's pick, hey, let's pick one more, Ann. Let's, uh, we also, uh, you, thanks you, to you Diana and Lauren, we got, a, uh, we got a, a mini football autographed by the coach, Hall of Famer 88, so let's pick that out real quick. Well, our speaker, Carl Heitman. No, I, I'm not eligible. Huh? Am I eligible? I don't think I'm eligible. Yeah, is he eligible, folks? Thank you. There you go. Thank you. Okay, let's uh, let's. Honorary. Why don't Why don't you pick uh, pick out the surprise any team helmet, oh, okay, courtesy sure. of sure. Uh, BRG Sports? Give it a good shake. Okay, I. It's almost like a carnival today, huh? There you go. Molly Ellingson. Oh. Molly Ellingson. All right, Molly. All right, we'll have to have to meet up with Brendan afterwards and arrange. Uh, for your special helmet, hopefully it bears. Anyway, uh, what, what other questions do we have? Raise your hand. Ryan, you have anything? Bill? There you go. Can you talk a little more about the macro level site selection process where, you know, I mean, labor, labor costs, differential, geography, how many existing people versus risk of relocating and those costs? Where was that in the model? Who was responsible for that? How did it go? Um, yeah, no, that's a great, uh, great question. So uh, we have to divide it to the central facility versus the East Coast facility. So the central facility, Dallas was actually less expensive from a transportation cost perspective. 
but the perceived risk of relocating, retraining a workforce was perceived very, very high, and that probably was decisive at uh, keeping it here in Illinois. Does that, does that answer? So well, the network modeling, it might have been, the question might have been around network modeling, and we had a partner. When you take six to one, how, and this was one of the larger of the six, I believe. Right, right. Roughly, you know, what percentage of the total six was already in Rantoul or around Sure. Well, the, what this facility replaced is, um, this precise facility is replacing about five facilities, three of which were already in Rantoul, maybe totaling 600,000 feet. If you added up all the facilities, this 800,000 feet is replacing is about a million two. So um, something like 400,000 feet was what the redu reduced footprint was with the consolidation, if that answers the question. Great. I just a question on the kind of the front end, if you if you would. So um, the question is, at the front end of a project like this, uh, particularly with much investment you made in architecture, engineering, staff time to get to this point where you can make a decision, there's a lot of money spent, a lot of time spent. Uh, so what was the nature of the approval you got up front to engage Heitman for that amount of work uh, and all the rest of the consultants before you? Get, you got to the point where you could kind of go out for the bids and, and get the decision. It's a green light. We're going to consolidate. Well, the it's a, uh, it's a good question. Right? Yeah, it's a great question. And, and Carl and I may actually have a different answer for you, but um, the company had already invested, I'm guessing, a quarter million dollars in the network study, uh, and it was one of the investment theses of bringing these companies together was supply chain consolidation. So it was pretty consistent with the owners of the company what they wanted to do. So it was about a hundred thousand dollars which was kind of split a third, a third, a third between engineering, architecture, and us on kind of what I'll call the conceptual level, which um, got us pretty far along the road to uh, having directional numbers to know that, you know, call it a feasibility study, that this thing was probably going to be a go. And then how much detail gets done on the architecture side at the timing, that's probably the art of it to your question, because that's an additional investment beyond that, or how you would... Well, I, I, would, I would answer a little bit differently. We, we actually um, sold bundled services. So we came in as a consolidated group, basically, to, to uh, uh, corporate uh, in Dallas. And uh, what we thought would be an hour-long meeting turned into about six and a half, seven-hour meeting. And we had my, really... My wife's never willing to sit with me for six and a half hours in a long time. But. We had case studies of projects done like this uh, for other clients, and this really was a service they thought would be... Uh, valuable to them. So all of that rolled into a overall contract. So the first piece was just a piece of an overall contract that got uh, committed day one. It, what would be important to mention, so, uh, so our team was working on behalf of Easton Bell. Once the developer was picked in the contractor, then Carl's kind of consulting piece ended, and then he turned over and was working for the developer um, at that point. So we were he, able to bridge that uh, design build. The other, the other thing we did on the money side to help get them uh, not as paranoid about the consulting dollars up front, which we all know are, is paranoia is high, um, is we had allowances built in the RFP for um, refunding civil engineering we did in advance, the architecture that we did in advance. So it was coming back in the form of cash to the client, you know, at the beginning, at the beginning of the project because it was capitalized in the building instead of, uh, if I'm making sense. So if they, so we probably had about $300,000 in allowances between civil, architecture, construction management that 
uh, the client was getting a check back for it because they've already advanced, effectively they advanced part of the architecture fee that normally would have been part of the project cost, if I'm making any sense. Yeah, it was actual cash check, and that was like first draw of the construction product. We were getting our dough back. Was, it, was there a concrete plant uh, infrastructure in place down there? Did you have to build something on site? Yeah, Mike, you might talk oh, to that. There, um, there was a concrete plant in place down there. There's a lot of activity you know, with the old Air Force Base there in, in Champaign University. There, we, there wasn't enough infrastructure in place. There were a few contractors we brought down from Chicago, but we were mainly able to work with uh, companies right out of But you guys uh, actually area. put up a portable concrete plant on the site. The construction site, right? When we when we did our uh, our slab pours and uh, the concrete um, on the exterior of the facility, we did bring a plant in, just imported the materials in, and mixed right on site. Anybody else have a question? Don't forget to fill out your surveys. Declare Any other victory, questions? Go home. Well, I think that was a great job. Oops, excuse me. <clears throat> uh, let's let's hear it for our uh, panel. Thank you. And for Paul Heitman over there, our technical expert. <laughs> Thanks, everybody. Don't forget about June 12th, change management. Thanks again to a great panel. A lot of fun. Thank you, guys.